0: Glad you're back for the summer. Uh, really, a chunk of our church is made up of people who make this their summer home, and we're so glad you're back. We've missed you and love you a lot. And those of you who are visiting today that are on vacation, you're here from Texas, and those people uh, who are sitting around you, they used to live in Texas too, but then they made a really good decision, and they moved here. And so, uh, think about that. I'm, you know, everybody thinks, oh, that's a big joke, ah-ha-ha, ha. But, but really, I'm being serious. Uh, our church is made up of people who said, this is a pretty neat place. I think I'll make my home here. And uh, so we'd love for you to consider that and think about uh, being back at Gateway more often. Speaking of being at Gateway, I'm getting ready to leave town and uh, gonna be gone for a little while. Yeah, yay, (laughs) yay, woo! So my family and I are gonna go on some vacation with with our daughter. She's graduating today and then we're gonna go on a little uh, graduation trip. It's not very little actually. It's only about that far on the map, but it's all the way over to Florida, and so we're going to be going this uh, week on, on Wednesday, and we'll be, we'll be back at the end of the next week. And so this Wednesday, you're in for a really great treat. I told the guys on Wednesday night this, but I'll tell you, uh, Cody Sparks right over here. There's Cody right there, and also Jay Spray right there. They're going to be teaching my Wednesday night class, and you don't want to miss that. These are two wonderful Christian guys, and uh, I have no idea what they're going to say, and it's not my fault, all right? So... <laughs> And then next Sunday, you're in for a great treat because Matt Clark from Grants, New Mexico, is going to come and speak. He spoke here before, and uh, just a a very uh, inspirational, uh, awesome man of God. Every time I'm around him, I just feel like God's spirit sort of spills out on me just from being around him. And this is uh, Nell and Rex's nephew, is that right? Or cousin-in-law or something? Nephew? Yeah, so uh, if that goes wrong, then blame them. All right. So we love you guys. I mean that. And there will be a few times I'll think about you guys while I'm gone, when I'm praying. But mostly I'm just going to go and uh, sit on the beach and forget about uh, responsibilities. And, and uh, so we'll, we'll thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to rest for a little while. We're finishing up our series today called If Then... And this has been a really uh, encouraging series to me to study the Bible, and uh, boy, last week was just amazing to me to to listen to uh, Vicky and listen to her talk about her uh, her ministry that she does at the prison and how when she serves, God multiplies. That was just that was probably my favorite part of this whole series when Vicky spoke last week. And uh, so we'll finish this up today. I'm going to finish like we've done every week. I told you we'd do this every single week. We're going to say these two things out loud. If you believe them, say them out loud today. And uh, the first one that we're going to say in just a moment is God's love is unconditional. Now I put the verses underneath there that I've told you every week. There are so many verses that use the word agape, which is unconditional love, and referring from God's love for us, agape love unconditional we've said this truth here before if you become a much 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 better person if you become more 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 like Jesus Christ God will not love you more and the reason for that is because it's not possible for him to love you more he can't love you more than he loves you right now. If you become a worse person, if you become less like Christ and you make the wheels fall off and you make a huge mess of your life, God will not love you less. Because it's not possible for God to love you any different than he loves you now. This is what 1 John 4 uh, verse 8 actually says. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is agape. Agape. God is unconditional love. That's what he has for us. So, if you believe it, and I've been praying for some of you who don't, all right? There's a few of you who are still like, I don't know if he does. I don't know about that. I think if I get better, he might like me better. He might love you. Maybe he will. I've been praying for you. I mean that with all my heart. I'm not joking. I know some of you really don't believe this. And I've been praying that God will change your heart through his word, through the power of his word and through the Holy Spirit. But if you believe it, I want you to say it with all your heart, that God's love is unconditional on the count of three. One, two, three. God's love is unconditional. Amen. And the second thing we've been saying every week before we start our sermon is salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. The verses are underneath there that we've looked at every week. There are many more stories and and principles and many more verses that, that talk about this very thing. That you cannot work your way to heaven. You cannot do enough. You cannot pay to get to heaven. You can't become uh, the right enough kind of person or have the right enough beliefs. You can't do anything that will, then God will go, oh, well now, now it's okay. Go ahead. Now you, since you gave me that ticket, now you can go to heaven. Salvation, the Bible teaches, is a free gift. Romans chapter 4 is the verse we're looking at today. Now, when a man works, his wages or his payment, this is what he gets paid, are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. In other words, if you work and then you can say to God, I worked and I did A, B, and C, so now you have to give me salvation, then then you have have, uh, painted God into a corner and you've said, I'm controlling you and I'm going to make you do what I say. God says no. Verse 5, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Because salvation is a free gift. So, I've been praying for some of you who don't believe that either. Who you still think, I've got to work, I've got to do A, B, and C, I've got to do enough. And then I know if I, if I fill the cup up part of the way, God's grace will fill it up the rest of the way. I'm here to tell you that the gospel, the good news of the Bible is that God's grace is the whole cup. It's the entire cup. It's all of it. So if you believe this, I want you to say it out loud with all of your heart. Salvation is a free gift. On the count of three: one, two, three. Salvation is a free gift. Amen. Amen. Love, God's love is unconditional. Salvation is a free gift that He gives. But there are many, many, many verses, dozens, probably hundreds, in the Bible that say, if, fill in the blank, then. Many of his promises, many of the principles in the Bible are conditional, even though God's love is unconditional, even though salvation is a free gift. Many things in the Bible show that there are conditional things. God says, if, and then he says, then. My dad recently shared this quote with me by a man named William Booth. William Booth said this in the late 1800s when someone asked him, what, what are you concerned about when you think about the next century, the 20th century? This is what William Booth said. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without. Without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. Over a hundred years ago, William Booth said that. And if William Booth is right, then I believe it's partially because people pick and choose what they are comfortable with in the Bible. I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I believe probably all of us in this room we're probably guilty. We have this temptation, at least, of choosing and picking what we're comfortable with. We read about God's love, mercy, and forgiveness, and we skip anything about His holiness and His wrath and His justice. I don't want to read that part. We just want to read the parts that make us feel good. Or we memorize scriptures that make us feel good about what we're already doing right and ignore the verses that challenge us to change the way that we're living. Or change what we believe. We read something and we go, oh, well, I don't know if I believe that way, so I just want to, I don't, I don't, I don't want to think about that verse. I want to think about this verse over here that proves what I believe. Today we're going to look at four verses that are pretty challenging. I'm going to challenge you to ask these four questions today. That's really the, the title of this lesson, this lesson is four questions. Some of you need to ask these questions to yourself. And some of you need to ask some people around you that you care about and that you love. You need to ask them these questions. The first three questions that we're going to talk about, I'll be honest, I don't think they're the most important questions in the Bible at all. But they are relevant, very relevant to the times we're living in. The fourth question is imperative for all seasons, all cultures, and all people. Everybody's got to ask the fourth question. So let's pray And then we'll get to these four texts. God, thank you for today. I'm just so glad to be here with my family. God, I love love these brothers and sisters. I love these children. I love the hearts of those who prayed and read today. I love that uh, Gail and Elizabeth just came to sit by me because they didn't want me to have to sit by myself. I'm just thankful, God, for the way that you work in our church family. You are you're blessing us so much, and we thank you for it. God, we want to do what, what Paul told us to do, find out what pleases the Lord. That's why we're here. We want to hear your word. We want to find out what pleases you, and, and we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to just pour through our hearts and our lives, through our bodies, and that we might have the energy and the guts and the courage and the strength to do the things that you have told us to do, that you commanded us to do. Lord, we, uh, as our habit has has been, we want to pray for another church here in Rudoso. Today I want to pray for the uh, First Baptist Church in the Rudoso Downs and especially want to pray for Randy Widener today, the pastor there, and I want to pray for your healing hand to be on him as uh, he has had the... Uh, health concerns that he's had this week. We beg for you, please, God, to bring healing to, to this servant. God, we want to pray that, uh, that the church there, that every, every time those doors are open, that the good news of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed, the death, burial, and resurrection, because we believe that's the power unto salvation. We pray the same thing would be true here at Gateway, that the death, burial, and resurrection will be the center of who we are. We pray that your kingdom would grow all over this village, all over this state, all over this world, God. We believe you're at work. So that's why we can pray this prayer. As we study today, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Our first text comes from 2 Thessalonians 3, and verse 10. Paul says, to these people in Thessalonica, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule: if there's the if, if a man will not work, then he shall not eat. If then, the literal translation of this verse uh, carries with it uh, it carries with it an ongoing unwillingness to work. Okay, that's important for you to hear. Sometimes the Greek language had things that they, when they wrote it, the people that read it understand. There's an ongoing unwillingness to work is what this word means. It could literally be translated, if anyone continually does not want to keep on working, he must not keep eating. I heard a story about a company, big company, had a big factories and stuff, and they, they hired a new CEO and they, they wanted this person to come in and trim the fat and kind of get things shook and, you and know, shake some things up and let's get the bottom line looking better. And so on, on a tour of the facilities, the CEO, he comes through this, this factory floor and he notices there's a guy leaning against the wall. The room is full of workers and everybody's busy and they're doing stuff, but this guy's just leaned against the wall. He's just standing over there. The CEO walks over to him, and, and he just looks at him. And the guy says, yes, sir. And he says, how much money do you make in a week? The guy said, $400. He said, you stay right here. The CEO walked to his office. He came back with an envelope that had $1,600 bucks in it, slapped the guy in the chest. He said, there's four weeks' wages. Get out of this building, and don't you ever come back here. The guy left. So the CEO looks around. want to make sure everybody knows he meant business. He said, anybody want to tell me what this good-for-nothing goofball did around this place? Somebody in the back yelled, he's the delivery guy from Pizza Hut. <laughs> yeah. Oops. <laughs> Yikes. But you get the point, though, don't you? Because it's frustrating for employers... When their employees are lazy. When they stand around and they don't do anything. Now that's actually a whole other sermon than this sermon. Although that's, that's an important thing, okay? This scripture is talking about people who refuse to even get a job. These are the people that are holding out for management. Oh, I'm waiting for something big, you know? I'm, oh, I'm above those kind of things. Overqualified. Not putting food on the table for a family is not what God intended. I'm not talking about people, nor is the Bible talking about people, listen close, who are unable to work, or people who are too old to work, or who have physical impairments. In fact, the Bible adds some tension to this whole subject when it commands us to help people who are in need. This isn't the only verse. Look at this verse right here in 1 John. If anyone has material possessions, how, if you have material possessions, raise your hand. Just raise them up if you've got them. Okay, there's a couple of people in here who don't have anything, all right? So you guys be sure and help them afterwards. If any, This is talking to you is the point. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love not with words or our tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, John is saying here, if you're going to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love God, God loves me, then prove it. Help people. Share. Use what you have. Stop spending it all on yourself. Thank you. So how are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to help people, but not enable people? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? How can we do that? Well, I don't know all the answers, but I'm going to give you one answer by telling you a question that I ask people. This is a question, I I literally, I'm not kidding. These words come out of my mouth and I ask people this question. That's not it. Yeah, that's it right there. (laughs) Question number one. Where have you applied for a job? Where have you applied for a job? After I've helped people a time or two, perhaps, I ask this question, and I let people know I I might even be willing to help them again if they'll come back and let me know where they put in a job application. Be glad to. And I encourage people by letting them know that I believe they can work, and I believe that, that it's possible for them to get a job. And that they will be blessed by working. Work is a part of God's gift on this earth. That's part of what he gave us as a gift is work. So I pray with people after I ask that question. I don't just say, well, go get a job and get out of my house or my office or my car. Get out of here. I don't do that. I I have a conversation, ask them where they've applied, encourage them to apply for jobs. And I pray with them. Asking God to give them success. And I do this because I believe this verse. If a person continually is unwilling to work, then that person must not eat. I believe what the Bible says. So if I'm ever unwilling to work, I hope you guys will do the same to me. Ask me where have you applied lately, John. Encourage me to go get a job. Second question the second question has to do with our family of origin, which usually is something that most of us are very thankful for, and also a reason for a certain amount of tension usually. Go to family reunions, you can feel it, just walk in. That's why there's usually alcohol at family reunions, because there's a lot of tension. That's usually why that's going on. So you can feel it, it's kind of thick when you walk into family reunions. So we're thankful, but there's this tension kind of, and, and uh, it, it often creates plenty of, of good questions. I like the question the little girl asked, she noticed her mom you know, had brunette hair, and she noticed that there was starting to be some, some gray hair in there, and she asked her mom, she said, why, why are some of your hairs white, mom? Her mom thought about it for a minute, and she thought this was a great teaching opportunity. She said, well, every time that you do something wrong and don't obey me, it makes me cry. It makes me unhappy, and one of my hairs turns white little girl thought about that for a minute, and she said, Mom, why are Grandma's hairs all white? <laughs> family can make our hair turn white, can't it? Well, here's a text that's pretty important about family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If, if, there's your if. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially his immediate family, then, here's the then, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow! That is a heavy, hard, harsh kind of verse. Some of you have parents and grandparents who need help. And you need to read this verse very carefully. And you need to ask God to help you examine your finances. You need to ask God to help you examine your own heart. This verse is in the context in the book of Timothy of of the congregation of believers helping widows. Paul's giving instructions about helping widows. And and here at Gateway, and I'm sure whatever churches you guys are from, we, we want to help widows in the body of believers. We want to help people who are in the winter of their life who don't have what they need. But I want you to hear this. The Bible makes it crystal clear. This responsibility is not primarily ours. This responsibility, it weighs squarely on the shoulders of children and grandchildren. That's where it weighs. That's where it sits. So how do we balance the request of widows and the elderly with this if-then verse? What do we do? When we, see el- when we see elderly, when we see widows who are in need, what do we do? And we know they have kids. We know they have grandkids. What do we do? Well, here's what we do. We ask this really hard question. I asked this question a number of times. I've asked it just in the last few months. What did your kids say when you asked them for help? Well, I, I, don't, I didn't ask them for help. I, I, they... My, oh, I hadn't even, I I don't think I could call and do that. I mean, they are, well, goodness, they have a lot of responsibilities. You know, they've got a lot of bills. Well, let me tell you something. The money that has been donated to any local body of believers comes from people who have responsibilities and bills. But it comes from people who've decided to make a sacrifice, who've decided to rearrange Their finances, so that giving is a priority. And your children or grandchildren, they may legitimately not be able to help you. They really might not be able to, but they may just think that they need a new car. A better car than the one they have. They may just think that they actually need a bigger house. They may just think that we need a boat and we need some jet skis. That's what we need. And I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. I can say this back to myself. We need to go to Florida. We need to do that. We're going to go spend our money. I'm not saying anything wrong with spending money on things. I'm saying we got to prioritize. We've got to figure out these budgets, and we have some instruction here from the Bible. And your request. To your children or grandchildren to say, I'm in a tight spot and I'm just one. It's hard. That's a hard thing to ask for. But your request might be the very thing that your children and grandchildren need to save them from a life of debt and materialism. It's a tough one. The third one. I find the motivation to ask the third question by this picture right here. Or by watching the Animal Planet channel on TV. You ever watch these programs where they film these wild lions in Africa? They are ferocious, killing machines. It's frightening. And sometimes now they put the sound in it. You can hear their jaws just breaking, bones and tearing and ripping. It's horrible. I mean, it's just nature. It's normal, but it's still awful. It's interesting. When you watch these shows... Lions have a plan, don't they? And their plan is to isolate one member of a herd and then run that one down until they can destroy them. See, God has given prey a natural defense, and that's mostly to stay together in the herd. Lions are much less successful when they're going up a group of animals than when they are against one by themselves same is true for our enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour, but he is much less successful when Christians stay close together. Amen? Amen. So, this is the question that's an important question to ask yourself. Probably preaching to the choir here, so to speak. And maybe to ask some of your friends, family members, people you work with. What church family are you part of? What church family are you part of? Galatians chapter 6, the if then verse. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Or if you want to put it in order, if we do not give up, then at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. And what's the connection between this? Are you part of a church family? And if you don't give up, you reap the harvest. Well, let me ask you this question. Why do we go to worship together? I'll tell you this. The Bible does not teach that we go to worship in order to be saved. The Bible teaches we get together because we are saved. And we want to encourage one another to keep our eyes on Jesus. A sister gets discouraged, but we gather around her and encourage her to remember how much God loves her. That he loves her unconditionally. A brother is facing a big trial. We come to help bear the burden for him. A teen slips morally and we're there to help them get back up and continue on the path of following Jesus. Because the devil wins when we give up. Not when we slip and fall. The devil wins when we give up. And he wants to tempt us over and over and over so that we will give up. But we're here to remind one another that we're going to reap a harvest so we keep walking with the Spirit. What church family are you part of? It's a good question to ask people. It's an important question. The fourth question, the most important question, comes from Revelation chapter 20. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How about this question? If you die today, Will you go to heaven? Usually when I ask that question to people, they begin to talk about their behavior. People usually begin to say either one way or the other, well, I'm a pretty good person actually. I think I should be okay. I mean, I think. I mean, I, I, I really, you know, I heard, I heard your sermon on the radio the other day, and I've been taking care of my mom at my house. I'm pretty good. I bet God's going to let me in. I bet I'll be okay. Or, I don't know if I've done enough, John. I don't know if I've been good enough. I don't know if I've helped enough people. I don't know if I've read my Bible enough. I don't know if I've fill in the blank. If you die tonight, today, tonight, will you go to heaven? People begin to talk about their behavior. Few people speak about this if-then verse in Revelation. If you want to weigh your behavior, then I can tell you the answer to the question. The answer is no. You will not go to heaven if you expect to get there on your behavior You will not go to heaven because of being good enough. That won't happen. But look at Revelation 21, verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it. This is speaking of heaven, description of heaven. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to enter heaven. I'm not good enough. I'm at the front of the line in this room of not good enough to get into heaven. But this book that Revelation talks about belongs to the Lamb. And that Lamb is the one who died for my sins and for your sins. He is the one who was raised to life by the power of Of God, an amazing God who loves me unconditionally. And I trust his work. And I believe he offers me a free gift of salvation. And I have accepted that free gift. I've asked God to save me. I've asked God to be the Lord of my life. I've been baptized into his name, and I see the Spirit working to transform me into the likeness of Jesus. And if I die right now, I believe with all my heart the answer is yes. I am going to heaven because God wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And quite honestly, and I mean this with all my heart, I can't wait for him to come and get us. I can't wait. There are a few days when I can wait. If it's going to be a powder day tomorrow, there's going to be 18 inches on the mountain, I'm like, maybe one more day, Lord. But most every other day, I'm like, I'm ready. I am ready for him to come. I'm ready to bow at the feet of that one who did everything for me. And we're talking about questions today. A lot of people say they have questions to ask God Things they don't understand, things that seem unjust or upsetting to them. And when I get there, I'm going to ask him this question. Well, I'm going to tell you on that day, I expect we'll probably stand silent in worship and our questions will probably melt away in the glory of God's beautiful presence. But if I get to ask one question, my question will simply be why? Why me, God? Why are you so good to me? Why do you love me so much? Why did you send Jesus to die on the cross for me? Why did you bless me so abundantly, God? Why did you love me and save me and write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Why, God? Today, if God is drawing your heart to Him, and I, don't want, I want to encourage you not to leave here today. If you don't know the answer to this question, I don't know what will happen to me. Don't leave here today. Today's the day of salvation. Come and talk to me. Talk to one of these elders you saw standing up here. Talk to a brother and sister around. Let's get that settled today. This morning be the best day of your life. I want to encourage you to consider all four of these questions this week. For your own life and to be ready to ask them to other people when the Spirit gives you the opportunity. If you need prayer for any of these things we talked about, and if any of you are ready to be baptized today, you come. We're gonna stand and we're gonna sing this song, Brian. One another.